Hi, everyone. Thanks again for joining us in this week's episode of Edric Poon and Company, the podcast where anybody can inspire everybody. Now, this week, we've got a friend from Thailand, the CEO of Workmate Thailand, uh, Mr. Martin Toft Sorensen. Martin shares his journey with us from Denmark all the way to Thailand and eventually from entrepreneur to CEO and the key traits he's picked up along the way. If this is your first time watching, Thanks for joining us and timestamps are available in the descriptions below and remember to like, comment and subscribe. Now on to the podcast. All right, everyone. Thanks again for joining the podcast. Now we've got uh, Martin over here, the CEO of Workmate Thailand. Hey, thanks again for joining us, Martin. Really appreciate it. Pleasure, man. Happy to be here. Okay. So first off, I mean, um, you are the CEO of Workmate Thailand. Now, would you be able to just run us through what exactly Workmate is? Workmate is a workforce management platform with an integrated work network. So essentially what we're trying to help businesses with is to organize the uh, workforce, especially their blue collar workforce that they are using in, in, in warehouses, manufacturing companies, even in F&B industry. Um, we do that by making sure that we can handle their uh, attendance, we can handle their shift management, we provide analytics and dashboards so they can see the performance of the workers who's reliable, uh, and, and making sure that they uh, also get access to our worker network. So whenever they have people leaving their company, if they want to get rid of certain people, they can replace them with, with workers from our worker network. Um, our worker network, the, the, the key about that is that we are using data to make sure that we match the right workers with the right opportunities. Um, obviously, the more the workers work on the platform, the more data we collect around the workers. And then we are better at providing workers to the clients and if, compared to if they go out and source them themselves through various social media channels, friends of friends, etc. So we provide them with that data set so that they're capable of, over time, improving their their internal workforce essentially. Wow, that's really amazing. I mean, so so you guys do your own AI, in in this sense yes, about we analytics do that. and data. And, wow, yes. everything is built in house. Uh, so we have uh, we have a tech product team uh, who's uh, who's who's working on that. Uh, and yeah, essentially they have built everything from scratch. Uh, it's uh, it's it's been a journey, right? Um, but we're we are finally in a position where we believe that we have. Uh, uh, a technology or a platform which uh, which which has a cutting edge compared to the some of the, the new competitors we're seeing in the market. Mm. And which uh, which areas I would say have uh, maybe taken this up really quickly, and those areas that are starting to grow the the sectors. I mean, so uh, blue collar is essentially warehousing logistics. Uh, we we started out focusing heavily on on e commerce. E commerce companies tend to be the early adopters of new technology. So it was, uh, we, we saw quite a fit there. Uh, we're moving into more traditional logistics now. We're exploring manufacturing. Uh, F&B, as I briefly mentioned, is also one of the verticals where we see a, a, a high demand in terms of getting access to that pre-screened verified worker network. Uh, I think globally, F&B is one of the verticals where we see relatively high uh, worker churn, not only in Thailand, but, but across the, 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 the entire world, basically. Uh, hence, they have a real a real pain point in making sure that they source and get the right workers on board. Uh, mm. Furthermore, the efficiencies, the time and attendance and shift management is also very important for, for some of these clients. They got multiple shifts. They got plenty of different locations. So to manage all that often, uh, often demands software. 
that can optimize processes compared to Google Sheets uh, and, and all the more manual processes that we see a lot of these clients using, using mm -hmm. as of now. Right, right. And uh, interestingly enough, I mean, are you also seeing that uh, different regions, right? I mean, previously, you've been moving around quite a bit. Uh, different regions still are still using pen and paper and still using Excel sheets. Absolutely. There are still plenty of clients using uh, uh, pen and paper. Um, probably more so in, 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 uh, in warehouses manufacturing. Um, pen and paper is used for time and attendance. Uh, it's used for OT calculations and stuff like that. Uh, obviously, that means that there is a risk of both fraud, but also in, in, inaccuracies. Uh, there's uh, a lot of timesheet reconciliation, uh, and, and it all leads to wrong payment of workers, workers not being paid the right amount, uh, internal HR teams spending too much time trying to reconcile, reconcile paper timesheets with, you know, clock-in data from, from a finger scan machine, et cetera. So all those processes, we're basically trying to optimize and make sure that uh, all these inaccuracies, they are removed and, and uh, making sure that the internal team of our clients, they can spend time on what really matters instead of diving into, uh, you know, timesheet reconciliation, for example. I mean, it sounds like you have a lot of studying to do. <laughs> Does that keep you up at night? <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely, man. Absolutely. Goodness. So, which means that you need to go through all that data, but uh, of course, thank goodness you've got the uh, engineers to also help to to basically make sense of that data, right? Absolutely. I mean, I mean, with with without the without the engineers and the tech team, we would be nothing else but a traditional uh, uh, agency per se, uh, providing the workers, right? So the the data and the technology is what drives the platform, and that's the, that's the core of the business, um, no doubt. Uh, you can't optimize if you don't have the right platform, if you don't collect the data on worker performance, and if you don't have the tools to create the right uh, shift to have a proper system for time and attendance, uh, and, and, and to, to, to basically also have a look at all that data in, in our dashboards and analytics, right? So, so, so the, the product team, the tech team, and the platform we've built, that is the core of the business. Uh, you're originally from Denmark, right? Right, I am from Denmark, right. from a from a city called Odense, to be exact. From from where? From Odense, it's a it's a it's the third largest city in Denmark, but oh. that means it's a very small city, right? There's five million people in Denmark, so um, yeah, it's a it's a relatively small city. We do have our own university and stuff like that, so uh, so it, it's not a it's not a it's not a small city in that sense. But compared to being in Thailand, Bangkok, yes, definitely, it's a, it's a very different thing. Right. And well, it's still the happiest place on earth right now. Happiest place to live in. <laughs> I don't know if we're still the happiest people, Corona and stuff, right? <laughs> I know that there's a, quite a lot of things happening at the moment, lockdowns and stuff. So, uh, but I guess everyone else would be unhappy as well. So, so maybe we are still the happiest of the unhappy people. I don't know. <laughs> well, let's see. Let's see whether, I mean, everything will work itself out, I'm sure, you know, but um, in, Absolutely. Um, so how does, how does someone, you know, like yourself all, land up in thailand it's just unfathomable yeah, I, I, <laughs> um i think it's uh it's a coincidence in a way that it became thailand i think i've always been you know adventurous in the sense that i want to explore cultures different people opportunities in other countries so you know ever since I guess I put on my back, backpack right after high school. I've I've been I've been adventurous in the sense that I want to see new things, right? Um, so 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 that is not a surprise to me. But the fact that it became Bangkok, well, 
um, there was an opportunity at the time when I finished uh, from university, when I graduated, uh, and, and I just grabbed that opportunity and left. Uh, I can definitely tell you that it wasn't the plan to stay for, for 11 years. I've been here 11 years now. Um, but, you know, things happen, right? Um, you get excited, you find opportunities, you meet people, and then, you know, 11 years later, and I'm still in Bangkok. Uh, right, and then you started up a business as well. You know, while you're here. Yeah, correct, correct, correct. So while I was uh, while I was actually working in, in my first job here, uh, I met uh, I met my co-founder. Um, we were you know like like any other guys here in Bangkok, hanging out, uh, socializing, having a few beers now and then. Uh, and then at some point, I think we started talking a bit more about business. Uh, at that time, it was very early stage. This was back in in early 2011. E-commerce was at its very early stage. The ecosystem was basically non-existing. We had very, very few platforms at that time. Uh, so in, in, yeah, in essence, we were one of the pioneers at that time. Um, there was a really untapped market, complete uh, blue ocean. Uh, and we saw this uh, unique opportunity to build a platform and, 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 and start creating a business uh, in Thailand, uh, an e-commerce business, basically. Right? right. And your background has been in business studies. Yeah, I mean, I've mostly been in. Uh, I studied. I studied international relations in, in in Denmark. So so it isn't exactly the the straight path to 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 business, right? Uh, it's it's definitely uh, it's definitely a twist. Um, I do feel that I I am using some of the stuff that we learned in university, but but again, uh, I think a lot of this came from just going out there and trying things out, uh, learning by by being. Um, in the at, at the front in the mud basically learning by doing i would say right uh, mm. my business uh my, my previous co-founder uh he came from a different background very different skill set to mine so we we complemented each other really well um and and i think we sort of you know just believed in ourselves at this early stage uh again there was not much competition at that early time right so so we had a great opportunity to get ahead before before anyone really entered the market. Right. At that point in time, I mean, because there wasn't any competition, did you feel the need to like, oh, we got to rush this out. We got to push it out. Or what was that process of the ideation to, um, you know, realization of it? I, I think when you are in a market where the business model that you're trying to test out hasn't really uh, found its ground yet, it's, it's not so much that you want to of course, you want to push it as fast as, as possible as an entrepreneur and expand your business. But it was more about, first of all, finding product market fit, uh, understanding the clients that we had at that time. Like, like it was almost us trying to convince them that, you know what, like the offline physical fashion store that you have, you need another sales channel. Everyone else in the Western world is selling their fashion products, their shoes and apparel online. You need to start exploring that and building that additional sales channel. Uh, so it was almost uh, us trying to convince some of these fashion brands that they needed that. Um, most of them at that time did not have their own website. Uh, mm. There was no platforms available. The only thing we saw was them having a Facebook profile where they were posting pictures of their products, but not really selling them yet, right? The whole social commerce aspect was not was not on fire yet it is nowadays right social yeah. commerce might be equally big to, to e-commerce right but but at that time there was it was also non-existent right um so it was more in, in in terms of really uh trying to to uh create that need for being online uh 
And that takes time, right? There's a lot of storytelling and convincing that goes into that, uh, making sure that the clients and your customers understand why they should um, explore new sales channels. Now that you look back, um, what do you think was the most painful thing that you had to go through during that period that really taught you a lot? Um, I think there's, there's a lot of things. It was, it was my first company, right? Uh, you make a lot of mistakes, man. You make a lot of mistakes. Knowing, knowing your own weaknesses is probably one of the biggest ones, right? I think when, when you start your own company, and especially in a time where, where you're bootstrapping the first year, year and a half, uh, you tend to try to do everything yourself, basically because you have to financially speaking, there's no money to hire experts to handle all the things you can't do yourself. And then you, 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 you sort of, you know, get, get pulled into things that, that you do not necessarily have the skill set in. Um, so I think what I've learned now in my, in, in, in my second adventure here with Workmate is that there are certain things that I'm good at and there's other things that I'm not perfect at. The stuff that I'm not good at I shouldn't try to spend a lot of time trying to fix that. Uh, mm-hmm. My solutions to that will, will naturally not be the best. Instead, I try to focus more of my time on what I'm really good at. So I think that, that's one of the key aspects. You've got to be aware of where your strength is. Um, finding that co-founder or business partner who complements you in terms of uh, where you have your weaknesses, that's one thing. Uh, another thing is spend a ton of time really understanding the market, your customers, what are their real pain points before you go out and start building a product? Maybe if, if you don't do that, you end up building a product that only caters 50% to what they actually need and the other 50% is just you know, assumptions of what you believe they need. Um, I think any, any CEO or co-founder at an early stage should spend an enormous amount of time um, on the ground, uh, really understanding what's needed. Right. And then um, I also wanted to check, like uh, when you started looking into things like the corporate structures and all this, right, did you did you have to learn it from peers, uh, other professionals, or did you go to the books and just go, hey, maybe this works, you know? I, I think it depends. Uh, for me personally, right, uh, I think peers, mentors, observations from the market is where I learn the fastest. Um some people learn faster by reading a book in terms of how it's done. For me, going out there and seeing how it's done, uh, peers, yes, definitely. Uh, having peers who've done something similar or prior to, uh, to yourself, getting their view on things, their experience, leveraging that. Um, and then, as I said, being, uh, uh, being in, 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 in the market yourself uh, as, as, a, as a CEO, and really seeing and, and understanding clients, your team, customers, everyone around you, what they need instead of you know sitting in your own little cubicle uh, in the office and and trying to uh, and trying to just understand everything from 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 only reading the books. That being said, books is definitely a tool that I think I'm using more nowadays than I did in the early stage. Um, I think I've just learned to um, to leverage that as a source of of um, of data and, and knowledge. Um, so, so I think it's a combination. It depends on your, your personality. Some people learn, learn faster from reading books. Others are better at, at you know, getting the, the, the experiences from, from testing out and trying out things by themselves or, or from peers. Yeah. Sounds like age is catching up. Huh? That's fine. <laughs> the older <laughs> you get, the more you feel like, You're okay, maybe I'll sit down and read. 
Yeah. Yeah. Um, then, um, maybe, with the experience, maybe. yeah. Then with the experience that you got right from um where you want uh transferring it over to Workmate, I'm very curious um to to find out um what's the difference between the founder and CEO of a company as per compared to a CEO of a company. I think um. Actually, I want to focus on some of the similarities. I, I mm. in my role right now, uh, I do see my job as very similar to a co-founder role. I see myself as the owner of the Thai market. Uh, I see that I consider this part of my own business. Whether I'm a co-founder or not, I, you know, I'm working. I'm identifying myself with this business to the same degree as, as, uh, as I identified myself with, 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 uh, with where you want. Right. Um, so in that sense, I don't think that there's that many differences. Obviously one of the major differences is more from, from an organizational uh, standpoint. Uh, I do have a, a, a different uh, boss as of now compared mm-hmm. to when it was where you wanted, where you want, you were reporting directly to the board. Um, but uh, that doesn't really influence me in, in, in a day-to-day uh, business operations and my perception in terms of where I see myself in the organization. I still consider myself as a partner uh, and, and, and owner per se of the business. I still have the same desire to succeed. Um, so I think there's more similarities than there are differences between being the CEO of a market or country manager versus being a co-founder and a CEO. Right. So the so what uh, I mean, uh, correct me if I'm wrong. What you're saying is that really it's about the ownership, the level of ownership that you have. I mean, uh, regardless of whether Absolutely. you're a manager, CEO, president, or whoever it is, as long as you have that ownership, uh, essentially that's what gives you that drive to to make sure everything's right. You know. Yeah, hundred percent, Edric. I mean, ownership is probably the key word. So um, yeah, thanks for bringing that up. Ownership is 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 what drives it, right? If I felt that I had to report every little. Uh, detail then maybe that ownership would be uh would be less right and i would be uh demotivated to some extent right. or at least not feeling the same uh the, the same um connection to the business um so yes uh ownership is, is definitely important uh mm-hmm. not just for me but for for my managers as well the more ownership one feel the more you identify yourself with the business you're working on right Right, right. And because, uh, you know, as human beings, you know, uh, regardless of uh, age, race, creed, or religion, uh, there's always this thing called doubt that always comes in the mind. And one of the things is like, you know, as, as a so-called a paid staff, right, be it whether you're C-level or middle management, I think people in the executive or middle management would probably think more like this. Um, you know, they go, hey, it's not my company, you know, why should I, you know, do all this kind of thing? But as, at the C-level, right, do you ever think that way? Like, oh man, this isn't even my company. Why do I have to do this shit? Those, that thought has never crossed my mind. But of course, there are times where you're like, this is tough at the moment. This mm. is really hard. But I guess it's just about like, it's about your personality, right? Perseverance. I mm. use uh, someone who keep fighting no matter how hard it is or do you feel like well there's an easy opportunity around the corner so since i'm just an employee i might just check that out uh and i think that comes down to 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 your own uh personal traits and i guess uh i mean perseverance it's one of the skills that i see myself uh having and it's also one of the things that i look at in 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 my managers right so so if you have that perseverance you shouldn't come to the conclusion that why don't i 
you know, care. Why wouldn't I care about the business, right? Um, mm. You will go through tough times, but that doesn't mean you give up. It doesn't mean that you uh, leave the business just because things aren't, you know, uh, easy at the moment. At the same time, you know, with that strong sense of ownership, do you sometimes uh, feel that, do, do you sometimes think that it's all on me? Or do you ever think that, um, you know, I've got a team that I can trust and this is going to work out? I think I'm in a very, very uh, fortunate situation at the at the moment because we have a uh, really strong leadership team uh, in in Workmate. Uh, so I can essentially get all the sparring that I need. Uh, there are some very bright minds, uh, people with uh, lots of experience from both startups, uh, from the industries that we are currently working in, uh, previous entrepreneurs, etc. So um, no, I never feel I never feel alone. Uh, I always have the right sparring. Uh, I have uh, brilliant people around me, uh, and I have people who can help me when, when, when I don't know exactly what to do. Right? I think that's uh, that's one of the things you have to be aware of as a leader as well. Sometimes you will fall short, and you will need to get the advice from someone else who knows more about a certain uh, area, processes, systems, whatever it might be. Uh, and I have the, I have the opportunity to 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 level all these leverage all these people in within our organization yeah i mean i'm, I'm sensing a great amount of humility coming from all of this you know uh and uh, is, isn't that a great thing that we have to be that humble to be able to just know that our mistakes i mean one thing that you brought up just now was um that uh you, you were able to identify what is you know your weak spot is this whole johari window thing right you know you see the unseen in that sense um but on your end, have you ever been in that position whereby, hey, this, is, this was really a blind spot and uh, there was no one to tell me? I think, I think in, the, in the early way you want days, uh, definitely. Um, I don't know if, if it's about the age again, Edric, uh, maybe you become more humble by age. Uh, I think when you're young, you believe you can do everything in, in a very short amount of time and you're probably a lot better than everyone else. Uh, so... That humbleness has probably come to me at a later stage. Uh, maybe also because no one really pointed it out. I think that candid, direct feedback from people is is also an eye opener. Uh, if you work with people who's not really giving you that direct feedback, maybe you continue to believe that you're the best at everything. Once you start getting that feedback, you learn that, well, I do actually have some weaknesses that I can, of course, work on. Uh, and alternatively, you just accept that this is not what I'm best at. So why should I spend the majority of my mm. time on something that is obviously not my strength? Um, but yes, I think I've learned that over time, uh, maybe more at workmates compared to uh, compared to where you want. Um, I'm in a different position now. We have, a, as I said, there's a strong team of, of, of people uh, uh, around me, uh, both uh, locally here in the Thai market, but also regionally uh, in the other markets where we operate. And that's, um, that's both an eye opener and it's, it's a way for me to learn more about myself and, and also focus my time on where, uh, where my skills are, are, are best, strongest, if I can put it that way. Hmm. Yeah, this uh, reminds me of something a friend told me once, you know, like uh, about age and mentality. You know, it's a uh, same thing happens in nature. The young lion fights every lion out there, right? The, the older lion fights the fights that he needs to. The old toothless lion, on the other hand, right, just lays back and does what he wants to do. It doesn't care about anything else. <laughs> exactly, exactly. I, I think that's, uh, yeah, that's a good way to put it, right? Um, 
don't focus uh, don't focus on winning the battle, win the war, right? Mm. Um, so I, I think in, in, in a sense, that's what it's all about, right? Um, there's no point of running around doing everything yourself when, well, essentially you kind of know deep inside that I'm not really the best one for handling this part. So why not delegate or try to find someone who's better at handling uh, that part of the business? Right. And I also like to ask you about your leadership style. Um, did you, you know, when you first started out, everything was very hands-on and yeah, let's do this together, you know. Um, but now as a CEO in, in Workmate Thailand, um, has your leadership uh, leadership style changed in any way? I think, I think it has changed, yes. Um, naturally, I think I would always want to be a leader where I, I tend to lead from the front maybe too much sometimes. Uh, it's good and bad in the sense that uh, I have quite a good hands-on feeling in terms of what both uh, employees, customers, uh, etc. want and, and, and ask for. But the problem is also that you sometimes tend to stretch yourself a bit too thin if you are hands-on involved in everything and if you feel like you're the one who has to lead the battle all the time. Um, I believe I've learned from that. Uh, I believe that uh, I have gotten some people around me now in, in Workmate that is that whom I trust. Trust mm-hmm. is obviously a very important part of this, uh, but who's also much better at doing certain things uh, compared to how, how I would handle them, right? Um, so, so my leadership style has probably been, is, is a bit more about delegating, building uh, the right team around me uh, instead of always having to do things myself again uh i'm still far from perfect at that uh i tend to naturally whenever things get tough to try to want to dive in and do things myself Mm. um but but at least i'm aware of that weakness and it's something that uh that i'm constantly working on one thing i've always noticed right is that uh Okay, this, this is a very selfish question. <laughs> uh, go ahead, go ahead, man. Many a times whenever we say things, right, we're always like, okay, you know, um, if I'm the number one, you know, uh, I this is what I want, right? I'm the head honcho, this is what I want. But whenever we go into a team, um, do we ever ask uh, or do you ever look at what your team is like and who's my number two? What does this person bring to the table? And what I think there's a tendency for... Um for employees to sometimes just follow the leader or not mm-hmm. daring to speak up. So if you're, if you're, if you're a leader that, that opens them, the meetings every time by telling how you think, how you think things should be, uh, what the direction should be, what the solutions to certain problems should be, then there will be a higher tendency to them just agree instead of, openly sharing their views on how to potentially solve the problem. So I think it's about getting as much data, as much knowledge into that, uh, you know, sort of like big part of opinions. Mm. And then from there on, select the best ones. Uh, and I think as a, as a leader or a CEO, even, maybe even more so in, in, in Asia, you need to sometimes step back uh, let them speak and listen to what they have to say before you add your point of view uh on 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 the issues right um so yes definitely right and what what do you think the tips and tricks would be to do something like that on your end because uh, i think if it came from a local tie um i mean not that you're not local already you're pretty much you know (laughs) but let's just say for example first impressions right uh they'll be like oh no uh what's gonna happen you know so what what do you think it would be good on your end right when you do what do you do to break the ice 
with new with new employees you mean yeah. or are you talking here among yeah with new employees i i think it's about more about building that relationship in asia right so one thing is the business relationship you have with your employees but uh, i do feel that one of the big differences between running or leading a team here in asia versus versus back home in denmark for example uh, would be that you have much stronger personal connections with your employees and your staff right um in general, when I observe my team, they also tend to hang out together after working hours, they go for dinners, they meet up in the weekends, they do weekend trips, etc. So that that connection between especially Thai people um, is, is very, very strong. You as a leader to win their trust, uh, to win their loyalty, besides being, uh, being a strong leader from a business perspective, you also need to win their hearts and minds. Um, and you do you do so by not only showing the direction of the company and making sure that 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 the company is growing successfully and mentoring and training them, but also by having that personal touch with them, um, listening, understanding them, asking uh, questions uh, in terms of how they're doing personally. I think that aspect is is one of the big differences between Asia and. Um, and maybe uh, maybe the Western world, or at least Denmark, where things tend to be a little bit more work, free time uh, divided, whereas mm. the boss doesn't really interfere or ask you personal questions to the same extent, uh, as well as you know hanging out after working hours, going for a coffee or a beer once in a while. Um, that's that's at, at least for me, that's one of the bigger differences that I've seen. Right. I mean, I'm easy, man. You buy me beer, I'm you've won me over already. <laughs> there you go, right? There you go. <laughs> I'm easy. Anybody who buys me beer, I'll call you my friend. No problem. <laughs> <laughs> Once you started actually getting all the staff um, going, right, you got to into the inner circles already. Um, did What was the setting like for that? Do they get, uh, or are there times that it gets too casual and you go like, oh, I have to pull back or is it automatic that everybody knows, you know, I'm, I'm a professional, I got to do this? Oh, no, that, that is not automatic. That is definitely not automatic. Uh, I think that, that, uh, that's the flip side of it, right? Mm. You got to be aware of how, how involved you get with your employees. There still need to be that uh, leader-employee relationship. Um, so, yeah, I... I to be honest, I don't have the perfect recipe in terms of how you how you sort of like balance that. Uh, you you just gotta sort of like feel that out. Um, if you see that they are kind of slacking on KPIs, not really getting back to you on on reports when you requested and stuff, then well, most likely there's a lack of understanding the difference between uh, a friendship and uh, and an employee versus right. a leader uh, boss relationship here, right? Uh, right. So. So you will naturally see that, uh, but it's important. It's it's definitely it's it's uh, it's very important that you don't end up in a situation where where it becomes all friendships. Mm-hmm. Uh, maybe that works in a very early startup. Uh, everyone is so involved and passionate; they feel that ownership. Uh, when you are from I don't know somewhere between zero to or one to to ten employees, you can run a business that way. But yeah. once you grow above that size, you got to be very aware of that. Yeah, I completely agree with you. There's something very addictive about being in a startup, that um, camaraderie that you get with, uh, with your team, you know, and that's something that nobody can take away. Um, but again, you know, startups, unfortunately, uh, the money is not there all the time. 
So that's why for, for the paid salary men like myself, you know, we, we unfortunately startups are quite tough uh, to work into uh, when, when you got more than the mouth, your own mouth to feed, unfortunately. Now on your yeah, end, right? Yeah. yeah. So on your end, um, uh, what's what's your what's your daily routine like? I'm curious. I mean, you you've maintained fitness. You know, I'm sure you have a beauty regime as well. <laughs> <laughs> Do I look like that? Oh yeah. I I, I see I see the wrinkles starting to pop up. So I don't know. Maybe I you're should, becoming uh, an old lion then. You're starting to read. Yeah, I guess so. I guess. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, Cedric. Um, well, yes, I, I, I do still uh, try to try to stay active. Uh, I've done that my entire life, so I don't see why I should change that getting older. I should probably work out even more. Um, but yes, I, I do have my routine. I try to work out like four or five times a week. Um, I've chosen just, you know, the, the, the basic uh, gym membership, and I've done so because it's flexible, not because I necessarily find it the most motivating, but uh, a combination between some strength training and, and, and cardio training. For me, it's more about just just getting it done. Uh, so it's not always that I enjoy being on the treadmill or, or, or lifting some weights, but it's just it's just a routine basically. Um, it gives me, besides the, the 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 physical part of working out, it also gives me a, a, a sense of feeling better. Like I don't know, mindfulness is a big word nowadays, right? But but yes, I do actually feel a lot better when I work out and, and when I've had times where I've sort of slacked it a bit, I feel, you know, not comfortable about myself, uh, mm. less motivated. I tend to get more tired. So so the the routine of having that uh, those workouts incorporated in my in my in my daily life is, is very, very important to me. Uh, the beauty part maybe less so. Not saying that I'm not using a few uh, uh, moisturizing stuff, but uh, but but that's that's definitely not as important as the uh, as the fitness part. Definitely. So, oh, what uh, first thing in the morning? You uh, uh, do have an exercise program, or does your um, a workout routine actually go from either morning or middle of the night kind of thing? Yeah. So so I I actually try to stay flexible, and I do so because sometimes I have early morning meetings, and sometimes uh, the days end late. If I have, you know, it could be a client meeting, could be uh, any networking event, etc. So sometimes it makes sense for me to work out in the morning, and sometimes it's after work. Uh, so I keep it flexible. The only thing I tell myself is that I need to manage it so that I will be able to do four or five times you know hitting the gym in a week mm. and then it's just looking at the schedule at my calendar and saying okay monday makes sense for me to do it in the morning maybe tuesday it makes sense for me to do it in the evening so it's not like i'm set in stone per mm. se saying that i must work uh, wake up and work out at 6 a.m every day um i'm not really in that uh, 4 a.m 5 a.m club where you know I'm, I'm not that early a riser in the morning uh, i tend to to like to get my sleep as well. I think it's important to get your sleep. I'll, I'm never going to be one of those leaders who will be happy about sleeping four hours and then be uh, fully motivated, fresh and ready to, to take on all the challenges during the day. Um, I think sleep is important, at least it is for me. Uh, so I try to get my seven, seven hours if I can, then even eight. Very interesting perspective. On your end, right, um, your time management seems like you yours is more of a task list and then you'll try and figure out where to fit it in as you go along. Correct, correct. I, I try to, I try to, uh, I do that, I do that every week. So I don't, I'm not, I'm, like I said, it's, it's not set in stone that I must make wake up early in the morning at 5 a.m. and get my fitness done every time in the morning. Uh, for me, personally speaking, it works better with that flexible style. But, with the 
sort of KPIs in my plan around you must hit four or five times. So you mm -hmm. need to get it scheduled, but it's not, it's not necessarily the same time every day after having a coffee, I go out running. No, that doesn't work for me. So again, I mean, learn from what people are doing, uh, test it out, what works on your own body. If it works well, sleeping five hours, you know, all good, man. I'm, I'm happy for you. If that works for you, doesn't work for me. Uh, I think that's one of the conclusions we get to when we get older as well. Mm. We, we hear stuff, we read stuff, and some of it we can learn from and other things, well, it just doesn't work for me, right? Yeah. And then in terms of diet, how is it like for you now? Uh, I, I, I try to stay as healthy as possible. Let me put it that way. Uh, I am definitely not uh, only eating organic. I'm not, uh, I haven't given up on meat, uh, but I tend to try to cut away sugars and stuff. Uh, mm. So yes, uh, but I'm not like, yeah, I try to, I try to be flexible as well. Right. Um, because again, for me, it's about having a life that I enjoy as well. Um, I don't want to be healthy for the sake of just being healthy. Mm -hmm. If it doesn't make me happy, then well, to me, then it's not worth it. So I try to balance things. Uh, I drink a beer once in a while. I enjoy a glass of wine. I do eat a burger. Uh, I do eat meat. Uh, and I, I you know, no, just try to balance those unhealthy traits with uh, with a relatively health, healthy lifestyle in the in the weekdays. And then you know, in the weekends, you can uh, you can sort of you know allow yourself. Uh, more or less what you want, right? Mm, okay. And uh, what do you think about work-life balance? I mean, um, for yourself as per compared to what you would like to um, implement for your staff? Hmm, um, let's, let's, let's talk a bit about this whole COVID uh, situation, right? Because I think the work-life balance is essentially about how many hours you have available in a given day, right? Mm -hmm. um, when you live in larger cities, you tend to spend a ton of time traveling back and forth to work, right? So, so your working day might be eight hours, nine hours, depending on who you are. Um, but you might also be spending two to three hours on transportation. Mm -hmm. What we've learned from this whole process is that uh, people are not necessarily unreliable just because they're not working from the office. So I think we've found a better balance in the sense that, first of all, I trust my employees, even if they're working from home, uh, I can see that uh, I can see that they get shit done. Um, and uh, if they like to come into office because it makes sense to them and they need that you know, engagement with their colleagues, then that is fine as well. So that is already incorporate, incorporating that sort of like work-life balance in the sense that, well, they're not spending two, three hours in trans during the transportation cost every day, right? Um, so I think whatever you can do as a leader to try to give them more free time, you should definitely try to figure out how to do that. Um, then maybe it's about understanding, you know, their bandwidth, uh, feeling them out in terms of like when they have, you know, an overload of, of tasks. Uh, often you feel that by, you know, lack of detail, lack of focus, um, you know, stress too thin. So, so yeah, I, I, I guess there's no proper recipe in terms of, of really being, you know, monitoring that. Um, but I think the whole COVID part, understanding that there's values in working from home, combining mm -hmm. that with the, with the office uh, <clears throat> work as well. And what's you, what's, what's been your um, preferred, let's say, for example, check-in routine, if you wanted to, because uh, as it is right now, right, with all the work from home stuff, uh, we've been always asked to, oh, you have to check in with your staff. 
And uh, one of the things that came up in a previous uh, conversation was that many employers are actually checking in wrongly because they call in and say, hey, how's your family? How's everything? Oh, by the way, uh, you kind of, could you send that thing to me by 2 p.m.? <laughs> you know, and that's a completely bad way of doing check-ins apparently. So on your end, right, like um, has there been a certain frequency and maybe a time frame and certain sets of uh, pertinent questions that you truly want to ask them and get in touch with them? To be honest, I haven't changed that much. Um, I think the structure that we have or I have, I have in place right now, I have the weekly uh, with my managers. Uh, we have sort of like a brief daily huddle where we go through, uh, you know, very urgent uh, things. We try to keep it at 15 minutes max. Um, working from home or being in the office, actually nothing has changed. Again, uh, now it's only a couple of weeks working from home since, uh, since New Year, right? Uh, but my routine, the process, is is the same as if I had been in the office. Uh, I haven't changed the the meeting format. I haven't changed the huddles. Uh, so well, that tells me that this 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 process is applicable for whether you work in office or you're working from home, right? Um, there might be a few more like day to day check ins in the sense that you know we catch up on phone when there's questions. We're using Slack internally, but but it's not that we have really changed much. Uh, again, I, I, I trust my employees. Uh, whenever they have questions, they, I tell them that they can, they, they can, you know, they can ping me if, if there's anything. So it's more about letting them know that I'm available um, now that we're not in office and they can't see me. Um, and they use that uh, or they get stuff done by themselves. And then we handle urgent stuff uh, at our daily huddle or, or in our one-on-one. Right. Okay. Thanks for that. Thanks for that. I mean, I'm always looking for new suggestions about how I can uh, do something new and something better as well. You know, and um, yeah, I, I think uh, I think the check-in, if the check-in is only about asking, like, have you gotten that done? If that's the only check-in you do, then I agree with you. That tends to be too much of the, you know, just checking whether people are working hard. And they will mm -hmm. sense that, right? So you got to give them that bandwidth to prove that they are actually working hard, even they're working from home. Uh, before you start, you know, uh, blaming them for not delivering things on time, right? Yeah, and also just, you know, understanding the situation, like say, for example, renovations going on or, you know, uh, something happened in the house that we don't know about and it's really affecting their work for the last couple of days or the kid is sick, you know? Like, should we still bug them and all that? So all this really does come in from the check-in as per compared to, oh, how's everything? And somebody with a facade will just say, oh, yeah, yeah, it's okay, it's okay. And then, you know, they push for something where it becomes somewhat unreasonable and it's, it's inhumane to some extent. Yeah. I, I think one of the things uh, that that we're seeing is that this is probably a, a bigger task for, for an HR department, right? The HR department traditionally has that those check-ins with the, with the employees on a on a daily basis, right? Um, so them understanding uh, the unique setup of each of the employees now that they're working from home is a brilliant example you're given there. If you have a family. The kid is not in school. Maybe they are being disturbed all the time. No one else to take care of the kid. Maybe there's construction work. Maybe they are living in a very small apartment that they share with three others. So they're sitting four people around the same table having calls. So that for me is more, that's a harder job for the HR team to fully understand the unique setup of each of our employees, right? Uh, so, so maybe for HR, uh, it's more challenging handling things. Uh, when everyone is working from home compared to when they when they when they go to office, right? Mm. 
True. Well, hey, Martin, uh, uh, thank you so much for sharing all these details now. Um, I, I mean, I've learned a lot, you know, uh, covering from you, uh, you know, in terms of ownership, the entrepreneurship journey, your ability to be able to check in with your staff and be on that lateral level, on that horizontal level, if you could, you know, at the same time, maintaining that professional and personal uh, relationship as well. It's been, it's been wonderful learning so many things from you, you know, regarding this and your journey. But one last thing that we always do at the end of this uh, show, all right, is that we have this thing called the Epic Questionnaire. Basically, it's a rapid fire session. I'm just going to ask you quick questions. Just uh, uh, answer them with the first thing that comes to your mind. All right. Yeah. All right. Sorensen, sure. the Epic Questionnaire. Question number one One word that you love the most? Love. One word that you dislike the most? Hate. If you could have a conversation with one person, fictional, non fictional, dead or alive, who would that be? Elon Musk. What do you say to yourself in the mirror every morning? Get shit done. Get shit done. All right. Name one superpower that you'd like to have. Storytelling. Name one pet peeve that you have. Snoring. Snoring. Oh, okay. Interesting. Hey. Uh, favorite sport? Thai boxing. Mm. Favorite dish to eat? Yeah, uh, I'll go for Italian. Italian, oh, nice. Uh, favorite yeah. travel spot? Phuket. I'm living in Thailand, dude. It's the easiest uh, place to get to, and there's so many beautiful places there. Nice. Something in the arts that you've always wanted to do, but yet to do so? Something that I have always wanted to do, but haven't done yet. Mm hmm it could be something in the arts or it could be something anywhere else. Well, uh, I can't say I've always wanted to do it, but at some point, I guess I have to be able to speak Thai. I've been living here for 11 years and I still don't speak Thai fluently, right? So I, I guess that is, that is one of the things that I've told myself for the past 11 years that I need to learn. And uh, well, maybe this is the year. All right. Something that uh, you'd say to your younger self. Be more humble. And uh, how do you want to be remembered? What's your legacy? As a hardworking person with strong perseverance, uh, with a capability of uh, making things enjoyable, adventurous, uh, with the proper storytelling. All right. Thank you so much for joining us on the show. Thanks. That was the Epic Questionnaire with Martin Toff Sorensen. And ladies and gentlemen, thanks again for joining us on this week's episode of Edric Poon and Company with me and Martin. Thank you so much. And we'll see you again next week. Thanks again.